0: Welcome to the Nerd Party. who podcast i'm jessica nunn
1: and i'm our co-host and husband philip gilfus well darling we're going to be talking about doctor who obviously
0: obviously (laughs) good call there baby
1: and we're going to be we
0: should do like a whole podcast just on doctor who i don't
1: think that's what the people want (laughs) but we're going to be talking about uh depending on how you count it but we'll go with series 10 Of Doctor Who, and this is going to be the classic Series 10. I suppose if you confuse people and think we're talking about the last Peter Capaldi series. But yes, now the Series 10 with the third Doctor, as the Blu-ray was labeled Series 4, to even make it more confusing. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, well, you know, they're just Series 4 of John Pertwee. That's what they do in America. They're just like, this is the series for this particular Doctor. Okay. So like the fourth Doctor, when I have a Series 1. Ah, or season one, but anyway. So yeah, we that's the Blu-ray uh, package that we had for that series. So we got finished watching it, high definition. Got to watch lots of extras,
0: lots of extras. So
1: we we're all about it. And so, um, just to refresh people, this series went from thirty December seventy two to twenty three June of seventy three. Um, one point of note: there's several, but this sort of ends the Doctor's exile to Earth. Yes, gives him freedom to use the TARDIS and have adventures throughout. Time and space. Before we get into the episodes, I thought we would highlight the companion um, for this series, and been a series or the companion for the Third Doctor for a while, and that's Joe Grant. Yep. someone you we both have gotten to know throughout this watch of the Third Doctor, and she leaves uh, or exits at the end of this series. Just thought, any comments you wanted to have about Joe Grant in and of herself?
0: I have thoroughly enjoyed Joe Grant, um, much more than not much more than I thought I would because I didn't really have any thought but I really like her a lot she's up there with uh Sarah Jane and Ace in my book
1: yeah because I think there's a lot of traditional well whatever that word means but traditional companion things that she ticks. you know slightly ditzy uh, I mean I think it, it's like on paper she's this ditzy blonde you know attractive ditzy blonde but, like, I think she's definitely way more than that. I mean, I think from the get-go she is. Um, you know, she has all these sort of special skills, you know, that she works for units. just not off the street. And, you know, she's not really that ditzy. She's just a little clumsy occasionally. Um, and
0: she's not, like, she's, she is the, the traditional damsel in distress, but not in the same way as Perry right. or Mel, um, who are just screamers.
1: Yeah, I don't think she'd twist her ankle. I mean, you know, it, it, in that she's in distress, but it's not like it's her fault or not that she can't get out of it. But, I mean, other than just a normal person couldn't get out of it. You yeah. know, it's not like, oh, she's this little girl and that's what she... I mean, it's like none of us could get out of that situation. Yeah. So, you know, she has as much skills as any of us do. And, you know, she and she. and it's interesting. I don't know whether the growth is actually there or not. But there are some episodes or stories. I don't know if it was this series, maybe the end of the last one. Where Joe got, I mean, I don't know, I hate to use this word, but for lack of a better word, kind of plucky. But in as much as I mean, she was on her own. And really this carnival of monsters. I can't remember. There were some certain episodes where she was literally on her own and she was more than capable. Yeah. And was out there not just like, oh, I'm going to hide here till the doctor comes. like, oh, no, I'm going to go investigate and see what's going on. And Which, I mean, she's been doing that since her first appearance. And that's when she got master hypnotized. And then I liked it because I don't know if it was this series or not. Well, I don't know, because Master wasn't in this series anyway. But it anyway, was a little bit. oh yeah, he was at the end. Maybe this was the series, but because where the Master tries to hypnotize her again, she's like, "No, not going to happen this yeah. time." She's like, "You know, I, you know, Mary had a little lamb, or something like that." And she's yep. like, "No, nope, not going to happen this time." Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah me No, once. she's
0: she's delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a lot of fun, and uh, you know she's going to go off on other adventures with her exit. So yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and then she always has her uh, unique fashion. Since Definitely. a furry yes.
0: coats So and... 70s. So 70s.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into it. And no, well, I was going to say, in no particular order, in the actual order of the episode. <laughs> so, the three doctors start off with a bang. Yep. Um, you want to read the synopsis there? I do.
0: Time itself is in peril. The Time Lords find themselves besieged by a mysterious enemy. Vital cosmic energy is draining into a black hole, and the Doctor is their only hope. Trapped in the TARDIS, however, he's powerless. The only way out is to break the first law of time to let the Doctor help himself. Literally.
1: So this was. An anniversary episode, for for those who don't know, I'm sure most folks do. This is an anniversary episode, and we sort of got the background from the producers about Barry Letts and... Um,
0: Terrence
1: Dicks. Uh, Terrence Dicks. I think I'll call Terry, I can't remember his real name. Hmm. But anyway, um, about, you know, this is the first multi-doctor story there was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that they, Barry was always like, no, fans were always like, oh, you should do it, you should do it. And he's like, no, that's stupid, that's stupid. And he's like, wait,
0: why is it well, stupid? Why is it stupid? <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: And so you know, then you get uh, Billy and Pat and Johnny all together, and uh, the Rat Pack. You know, anyways,
2: <laughs>
0: is that what you mm-hmm. went with? Exactly.
1: <laughs> but um, yeah, and I, you know, obviously, you know, for those who don't know the story, of course, Bill Hartnell was was not doing well, and you know, good days, bad days, but they caught him on a couple good days, and that's why he wasn't there for the present or to be present with the other actors. But he sort of did his recordings, and it, it worked, and and in some ways may have worked it better because you had sort of two and three squabbling and one comes along and kind of like stop squabbling. with what you need to do. And he just pops back every now and then just to be to put him in a direction.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I enjoyed this. It was nice. I, I like the nostalgic episodes. I always do. Partly because I love the fact that people come back. Mm-hmm. And people want to come back, and people want to be a part of it again. And I just think that's fantastic and speaks to the legacy of the show and the delightfulness of the show is that you know, people are like, yeah, let's let's do another one. It'll be fun.
1: And I did enjoy hearing the to me, the ironic sparring between John perchwe and and Pat Troughton of their conflicting styles, which in a way, made itself on screen to the doctors arguing among themselves. Yeah. And because it doesn't make, I mean, where John Pertwee is coming from this complete comic background, but this is his first straight role. And so he's kind of being a, not in a bad way, but kind of being a serious actor. You know, these are the lines, this is how we do it. Yeah. And Pat, who is very classically trained, but then, kind of approached his doctor much more comically
0: and looser. He yeah. was a little more improv esque.
1: Yeah. So he's like, "I'll say kind of what the line is, and just what well, how would I, how do I know when to when to say? Well, my dear chap, you just know how to, you know." And so you just, but that's what translates on the screen between two, two and three.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, uh, watching all of the extras and people talking about. <clears throat> pertwee posthumously. And everybody says he's lovely. Absolutely delightful. Nobody has a bad word against him. But he also sounds like just a smidgen of a diva. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about him getting upset because his image was the smallest one <laughs> and the radio times spread that they did, you know, things like that. He he was a a lovely person, but Very self-aware of his own worth, I guess, maybe. Well, it seemed like... And not necessarily in a negative way, just that's a thing.
1: Because Katie, and and Katie Manning, who played Joe, in one bonus interview we watched, kind of let one thing uh, out that she thought there was maybe some insecurity there that because this was his first straight role ever, you know, he's always this comic actor, whether it was on radio or on TV or in movies, and so it's almost an insecurity about, like, this is my one chance... To be. To
0: show breadth. Uh
1: huh. And so it's like, don't mess me up. Don't mess it up. Let's all take this. I mean, he wasn't uber serious, but let's, you know, it's pretty professional. We can have fun, but once the camera's on, let's take it seriously. And so then when you have sort of a, you know, someone like Pat come in and be like, oh, you know, that's. Whatever. (laughs) Whatever. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. And so, but yeah. And so I think that was interesting to hear. Um, But yeah. and and, And I. The multi-doctor stories sometimes work, sometimes don't. I do like, you know, we're talking more about the third doctor. But I I think with Pat Trout, just not that I'm a second doctor expert by any means, but, you know, he had been off the role for three years at this point. But he just comes back, like, instantly into that role. It's just the second doctor's Mm -hmm. right there just happens to be in color, not black and white. (laughs) But but I I think he just... And he's
0: brought his recorder.
1: Yeah. And so, which actually ends up saving the day. Indeed. Mm -hmm. So... Anything. And then at this as a uh, reward for the Doctor's, I suppose S, mm-hmm. um, success, the Time Lords, end his exile on Earth. So, I don't know, having now watched enough of the third Doctor, you know we've had three series, I guess, of him stuck on Earth. Mm. And so there was sort of a comment from one of, one of the producers or actors, like, well, it was the, sh- the shortest punishment ever. But, you know, <laughs> would you sort of think of them having the give him back to time and space
0: no i th- i think it's obviously a good thing i think there's only so much you can do with a time lord whose whole thing is time and space just having him stuck on 20th century earth
1: mm-hmm. and i think they were saying there was only two stories you could ever do mad scientists or alien invasion
0: yeah <laughs>
2: and then,
1: yeah and they were like oh we invented the salarians because uh Technically, not an alien invasion because they're from. They Earth. were there first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you know, with the Master last series being every every bloody
0: story, every
2: bloody story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which they they sort of explained as saying like we we that's our fault. We just got really excited about using the Master, but anyway, so and
0: maybe went overboard a little yeah. bit. But
1: anyway, but we had Omega, and that was sort of an interesting villain, indeed, Time Lord villain, sort mm-hmm. of expanding the Time Lord story. What little we know, you know, at, up to this point, so. Alright, well that brings us into Carnival of Monsters, and want to do that synopsis Mm
0: -hmm. as well? The Doctor and Joe arrive on the S.S. Bernice, a cargo ship crossing the Indian Ocean. Things are not what they seem. A monster appears in the sea. Events repeat themselves and a giant hand steals the TARDIS. Investigation reveals they are inside a miniscope. An alien peep show spo- sporting numerous miniaturized environments which showman Vorg and his assistant sheerna have brought to amuse the populace of the planet Interminer.
1: I have to say this was one of my favorites because I think mm. it's a funny show. There's not many funny stories in this era of Doctor Who or maybe in a lot of Doctor Who but you know because it's usually danger and monsters and all that but this is just there is danger in, but it's, it's
0: there's it's, a lot of whimsy to it
1: because and there's not often solid stories without the Doctor like in other words the whole I mean the the episode starts with Vorg and, and Sherna and stays with them I mean I don't exaggerate maybe a fourth of the time mm. you know and it's their story I mean eventually the the doctor and Joe kind of enter that world too, but it's sort of like, and then, but you have the alien machinations and political whatever's Mm. and just going, it's almost like a separate story, but I think it's solid and then they're amusing characters and it's contrast between the serious villain and the, the, the carnival people, you know, who are the comic relief um, and foils. And then you sort of have this surrealistic story with the Bernice Mm -hmm. with the time loop and Joe and doctor having to sort of do that time loop and,
0: figure it out and yeah it's interesting it's it's a little crowded Mm -hmm. um i would say but it's an it's fantastic idea and Mm -hmm. as you say it's very colorful and as i say it's it's whimsical and the the two um carnies are a lot of fun and interesting and you know that felt a little bit like the wizard from wizard of oz Mm -hmm. And a little bit like Mr. Rogers neighborhood in <laughs> in the trolley world. Uh-huh.
1: And, island of Make Believe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was the way the sets were done or something, but uh yeah.
1: I mean you had sort of the I don't want to say hokey, but you sort of had the monsters.
0: Yes, and they were a little hokey. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean thinking about particularly with the carnies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the bit that felt most like the island of make believe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that one,
1: mm-hmm. and it was interesting. One of the extras we watched had um, Stephen Moffat and uh,
0: Mark Gaddis. Mark
1: Gaddis talking about this. Well, all of the Third Doctor series, but I liked one thing about Moffat
2: because
1: they both of them theoretically were watching this show when they were young. Uh, Stephen was like, you know, don't let people. Put you off? We knew it was the effects were bad. Like I mean, I like that because you know, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it was like to watch TV in Britain in nineteen seventy two. Um, and but Steve was like, no, no, we 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 knew when it was shoddy, it looked shoddy and whatever. But yeah. but but it was you know there was a story there, and that's what we enjoyed. And so, but I did kind of like that.
0: And then Mark Gaddis in the same interview talking oh. about despite the hokiness, mm-hmm. it was still a little bit trailblazing Mm -hmm. you know the use of the cover color overlay and Mm -hmm. and things like that it wasn't great but it was still very new and they continued to use it and and make interesting choices with it even though it didn't always Mm -hmm. ever look realistic there were interesting choices. It never felt like they were using it just to use it, really.
1: Right. And I think, you know, because in the extras they were saying Barry Lutz was sort of very, very uh, mad about using the CSO, which we would now call green screen. But anyway, which I don't think they use a green screen. They use a different color. Anyway, no, that doesn't
2: matter. But, um, <laughs> we digress. Yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, that, it, and I think for him it was how do we keep, you know, keep the show cheap for the BBC, obviously, but how do we do these, these great alien landscapes and, you know, if you can just do it like that, then why not just do it like that? And you don't have to sit there and think, like, well, now we got to do a, a studio. With, like and now looks, we
0: need a location. looks like a cheap and, thing. And, you know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and I,
1: from this series, just talking about this series, it did seem like they definitely leaned on the CSO. Not like I'm saying, like, as a cheap gimmick or anything, but they're like, oh, we got it. Let's use it. And so, I mean, I would say like half the time it worked, half the time but again, it looked again, I think uh, in
0: this one, mm-hmm. they used it in interesting ways, mm-hmm. you know, with the doctor being shrunk down, yeah. and, and all, it, it, it's all very interesting choices, and it's not the same, it's not like watching Colin Mockery on Whose Line Is It Anyway, <laughs> where yeah. that's the only thing they use it for, is right. to put up this backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, they were using it in different ways as well, and and that's cool. Yeah, cause that's I've... cool, baby.
1: Because <laughs> the inside of the minisket does look real. I mean, for what they're trying to create, not the mm-hmm. Honey I Shrunk the Kids machine look. You know, with the I forget what the monsters are called. You know, they're puppets and whatever you want to do. But anyway, but yeah. oh yeah, and they're
0: bad. Yeah, they're bad. But that's also part of it. And and it's <laughs> a, particularly looking back now. That's part of the nostalgia. Uh It's the same reason, really, that we enjoy watching Mm B-movies. You know, because you can look back at it and go, Oh, that's terrible, Uh but we can't stop watching. Because it's it's cute and nostalgia and kitschy and Mm -hmm. all of those things.
2: It's
1: like, I think, you know, it's as with everything, as long as the actors... Believe it, or mm-hmm. showing they believe it, and then there's also a story there. Because so if you can believe it, and it looks stupid, then you just look stupid. But there's also a story there. Because I'm thinking of like as an example, Star Trek, obviously. With Star Trek, you know the arena. Star
0: Trek was your first example. <laughs> I'm so unlike you, baby.
1: With the episode Arena from the original series, where Kirk is fighting the Gorn. I think you watched this, or you saw me watching this recently. The big sort of the big lizard. It's very slow. Moving. Oh, right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. On the desert. Yeah. Uh, presumably in Arizona. Quarry. <laughs> so, you know, it, it
1: obviously looks silly now, but you know, and the fighting looks, but you know, you get the like, Oh, Kirk's in danger and you're fighting an alien. It's like, okay, well we're going to let him, you know, whatever we can get behind it. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I thought that one was funny. Um, and I, I forget how many episodes. I think these were all six-parters. I can't remember anyone being super long, any of these.
0: No, I, did, I was thinking that earlier, that they didn't feel.
1: And I think the Carnival of Monsters, I think, has so much story, like you said, because it's like, uh, this is probably not exact, but, you know, like I said, you have the alien story, and then you have the boat story, and the boat story kind of lasts as, like, the main story for, like, maybe half of the first episode, and then second, and then third, and then you're finally in the the different uh, terrains inside the meniscope where they have to travel and then you have them escaping and then you have, I think there's enough for six.
0: Yes. Yes. Not
1: always true, but in this one there was, I think.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. All right. uh, in Jodie Whittaker's time, Chris Chibnall would have mushed this down to one episode, <laughs> and we would have all been very cross about it.
1: Exactly. So, Frontier in Space. Um, read that synopsis, please.
0: The third Doctor and Joe are caught in the escalating tension between planets Earth and Draconia, and discover that the Master and the Daleks are secretly working to provoke the two into an all-out war.
1: This is, I mean, I don't know if this is just a British word. Frontier in space, like, like now that I know the episode, I can think about it, but I would use an American word because, like, neutral zone in space is, would be, like, the American. Like, because they say, like, a frontier is the space between two conflicting... Uh,
0: Oh, right. Whereas, like, so they could have called it the DMZ.
1: Basically. Yeah. That's what, like, yep. I mean, that it throws me off when I would hear them say Frontier, because I you know Frontier of America, you think, like, oh, you know, it's your...
2: Con- Cowboys. Yeah,
1: Conquering the West or something. Yeah, yep. um, but But, uh, you know, like, even Space, the final Frontier, but they're using it, it as a buffer zone.
0: Yeah, okay, so that's what yeah. thru- threw
1: me off a little bit. But now that I know it, every time I hear it, I think, oh, buffer zone. Oh, that's the one with the... Yeah. And I actually think this is a little bit of a political thriller.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I enjoy... This And I almost resent the Master and the Daleks in this, because (laughs) I don't think you need them. Yeah, yeah. I think it can absolutely stand on its own as a political uh, thriller. You know, you've got bad guy politicians who are trying to start a war and therefore switching things up and... Yeah, I, I totally think it can stand alone. It doesn't need the master to prop it up. And I feel like in this one in particular, the master is used as almost a Deus Ex Machina.
1: Yeah, and and like I think the Dal- Daleks are just tacked on at the end, and it can kind of go both ways because they're at the end, so it's not like they predominate the story. It's just sort of like I may literally be I think maybe it's like the penultimate, you know, the last cliffhanger. I think it's like oh, it's the Daleks, and the last episode is yep, the Daleks, and then. That's it. And yeah. then, and, then and we... I
0: don't remember the Daleks, particularly in this one. No. Because, again, not necessary.
1: I think because then you just sort of have to go into Planet of the Daleks after this, which theoretically, tangentially, is supposed to be connected to Frontier in Space. I was like, hey, you didn't need to do that. It just nope. could have been two different stories.
2: Yep. Yeah. Whatever.
0: Yeah. But other than that, I really liked this episode. The idea that they're disguising this third race mm-hmm. coming in as aggression from either side um and then the again the political machinations that go on behind that you know ah oh, you're overstepping the treaty we're not overstepping the treaty you're overstepping the treaty no you are no you are mm-hmm. you know
1: I mean, there's probably a better analogy, but since it's the 70s, very Cold War because mm. you have the draconians who are, you know, you'd, you'd see them and you're like, oh, those are the bunch of the, the villains. They're like, no, they're just regular people. You know, that they're not the baddies at all. They're just the regular, they're, they're just, you know, they're Soviets or whatever, or, you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, they're people, they're just regular people. And then to be that sort of both sides are right, both sides are wrong,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: because even the the president of Earth, who's kind of good, but then she's also, you know, also, is quick, Political. Yeah, quick, you know, quick to see the other side. Then you have the, sort of the, I forget his position, the general or whoever, who is trying to push war to, and then you have sort of the, even the Earth politics, where you have, like, I forget what they show, there's like a governor or senator or something um you know and he's like oh they're out to get us we need to fight back first you know and it's all very familiar <laughs> it doesn't matter w- what time you're in and
0: it's got the news yep. screens with the the chiron yeah it's yeah all of that is yeah quite political and quite relevant and yeah very real
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then um yeah and then the org Orgon, Orgon, org- 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 i can't remember kind of the monkey looking aliens i can't yeah. remember what they were they're sort of the the grunty dumb bad guys so much is a little more stereotypical at times but mm. but yeah it, it was it was good you know i was trying to think also for this one for six episodes i mean i guess the daleks and master maybe added an episode of a story you yeah. know where if you didn't have them maybe it went on a little long but yeah, there's still enough there for the back and forth and i i did think in this series and of course it's every series. But I think maybe this story, if I'm not misremembering, where I swear the doctor gets, like, put inside, a, in prison, like, every episode. Like, newly. Like, he escapes, yeah. goes back in. Next mm-hmm. episode, he escapes, yep. goes back in. Yep. Next no, episode, Joe yeah. So I was like, okay, guy. A, a little much. A little yeah. much.
0: Yeah. Now he's in there with Joe. Now he's escaped. <laughs> now he's in there with the master. Now he's
1: escaped.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit
1: repetitive. but Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go into Planet of the Daleks, which... um. I don't know. I think I'm maybe among this the this episode. Well, go ahead and read the synopsis there okay. before I judge it.
0: I know. Arriving on Spiridon, the Third Doctor and Joe encountered a Thal group, but the Daleks are here, and this time they're invisible. What
1: would you think of this one?
0: Um, I liked the callback.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the very first of dogs. Yeah.
0: Yes, uh, and I, and so I appreciated that and possibly felt a little smug because I knew it was a callback. <laughs> also interesting in this one is Joe's romance.
1: Oh, yes, yes, yes.
0: Uh, considering
2: yep. what where
0: we are in the timeline, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, there is a little romance. The guy does ask her to stay and she chooses not to. Mm-hmm. And that's very interesting. Uh, again, seeing where we go next.
1: Because I think it's almost, <laughs> I would say like an old who, and this is like, you know, <laughs> the 10th <the tenth> series. <laughs> How old can it possibly be? But like I'm talking before, like in the black and white era, you could almost see it would have been this easy of an exit for a companion. Oh, we just met, like sort of a Susan. You know? I was
0: going to say, yeah, you know. that's exactly, this is exactly what Susan does. Yeah. And she chooses not to go mm. This time.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, because um, they're really – the relationship almost see more the guy than Joe. Yeah. Um, but, like, you know, that would have been it in black and white. Oh, yeah, that's good enough. They're off to get married. Off she five. pops. You know, yeah. We don't have to establish anything deeper other than they went on an adventure together maybe held hands once and tick. You know, is <laughs> yeah.
0: tick a euphemism? <laughs> but other than that, I thought it was probably no, that's going down the, the weakest.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, out of all of the series, I'd say "Planet of the Daleks" is probably the most regular, stereotypical Doctor Who story of.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was not crazy about it. Purple carpet monsters.
1: That's true. Yeah, which I.
0: I assume that ultimately Joe skinned one of those and used them to make a coat.
1: (laughs) I mean, from a production standpoint, yeah, it's very... Like, they're invisible. They just have to wear big fur coats. So we don't have to make any... Elaborate. Just make a big furry thing and die. But, you, but the
0: amount of <laughs> purple furry material and and where do you find that? I assume maybe a rug shop because you know shag rugs are a big <laughs> thing at the this 70s. point. Yep. Yeah, yep. so maybe that's what it is. They're all wearing shag rugs over them,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it gave them the opportunity to play Trojan horse, right? Obviously, yep.
2: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah, too many people. And again, I think too much going on. Like, they've got this one team... That has been there for I don't know how long. And then another team shows up, but only a few of them are alive. And then a bunch from the other one dies. And then the woman from the second team is in some sort of relationship with one of the guys from the first team. And then another guy from the first team just wants to roll headfirst into all of this. But, of course, he ends up a lot of deaths.
1: Right. Bombs.
0: Yeah. So it's a Daleks. lot of hey, get to know this character. Now we're gonna kill him. Mm-hmm. Hey, get to know this character. Not nope, not nope, gonna kill him. And and the problem with the Thalls is that they all look alike anyway.
1: Yeah, the Aryan race. You know, not yeah, not much interesting there. Uh, and so
0: then you're like, who who just yeah, died? Yeah. Who was that? It was
1: the blonde tan one?
0: Oh right, mm-hmm. the <laughs>
1: man though. The, the man.
0: man. The man, not the right. right. Got it. So yeah. Uh, not definitely the weakest out of yeah. these, and I think,
1: and I was wondering, I'd be in any of the extras we saw. It doesn't necessarily say why they brought the Daleks back, other than it had been a while, and people keep asking about it. So there you go, I guess. You know, but like as we would often say, why? What makes this interesting for the Daleks? And nothing. I don't think really. No. Nux next, next makes them interesting.
0: What would what might have been interesting is some sort of revenge. Mm -hmm. You know, considering they're bringing back both the Thal and the Daleks, and those, of course, were originally the same race, and the Daleks mutated due to radiation bombs, and the Thals did not, and so they have this problem on their own planet. Coming back to that, bringing that back around might have been more interesting, and leaving the the shag carpets completely out of it might Mm -hmm. have been...
1: Yeah, and I, I I can see like how do we make the Daleks more interesting? They can cloak. They never said that word, but they can cloak now. Ah, that's cool, isn't it? And I'm like ah, I mean, okay. I mean, I suppose. But I think the thing about the Daleks is supposed to be their look. If you make them invisible, then you
0: know. yeah. And they also don't really do no, a whole don't. lot with it. No. And so
1: just the first time, that's it.
0: Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah. they could have improved it. Yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. So um, like I said, Joe's on her own for this one a little bit. She's put some bombs together, all that. So mm-hmm. that's about... Well,
0: she's with her romantic... That's right. Her paramour. That's right. All
1: right. Well, speaking of paramours... So ...we can get with the series Ender and yep. uh, the Green Death.
0: Yes. Here we go. When a dead man is found glowing bright green at an abandoned coal mine, Unit and the Third Doctor travel to the South Wales town of Clough Fairfax, convinced that... Pollutants from the nearby global chemicals are responsible. The doctor faces opposition from the company director, Stevens, the mysterious boss, and deadly giant maggots. I apologize in advance for my uh, Welsh. Welsh pronunciation. I think I definitely did better than Philip could have done, though, so I get credit for that.
1: <laughs> it's made up anyway. I think it was the real place was dairy or something. Anyway. Yes, yes. Um, I guess before we get into it, the Most of the extras we watched on the Blu-ray were about the Green Death, and I think a lot of it is because Joe obviously leaves at the end of this, but in as much as everything with the whole episode, did you think it deserved all the attention that same people seem to have for it?
0: To a certain extent, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was my favorite out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Again, because of the timeliness of it, or the timelessness of it, um, which is perfectly acceptable in a time and space. (laughs) This is an example. We spent so much time talking about Jodie Whittaker's season, last season, where they were trying to make it relevant. And, oh, plastics are destroying the earth. And it it felt so preachy. And this didn't. Mm -hmm. This did exactly what Chibnall wanted to do in this last series, Without being preaching.
1: Because it's interesting that you have these characters, you know, you have Professor uh, Jones and the, the Nut Hutch. I can't believe they kept saying that. The Nut Hutch um, and Joe. So obviously he's, he's sort of expounding these, um, you know, environmentally aware and, and all these things. And so you would think, oh, they're preaching, but it's just the characters, you know. Because, mm. like, the doctor in and of itself, I don't think he ever actually
0: no takes much. a position yeah no I agree I agree a hundred percent about that and again that it, as you say those were character driven words rather than because
1: <laughs> um, I think it's even have the brigadier who you think would be you know granddad and he kind of walks the line I mean he's still who he is but he's like oh this is great and they're like oh yeah, it's mushroom he's like really Okay, oh tasted like beef. We're well, gonna have beef next and I go like, oh, this is more mushroom. Oh oh okay and This is definitely
0: beef. <laughs> nope, nope, more mushroom. And as we learned in the um uh extras and things, you know, this was a little bit before its time. Right. Um, particularly, you know, we think now about mushrooms being very much a meat substitute. You know, you don't want a hamburger with beef or anything like that. You can get a mushroom hamburger. Um, and even the use of corn, which I don't know came, is that a, do Americans know? It's Q-U-O-R-N.
1: Oh, I heard them say that. I assumed it was CW because we were talking Welsh. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that was
0: Q-U-O-R-N. Yeah. Which is, um, my first year in England, I lived with a vegetarian. And mm-hmm. so she would buy corn, and that's what we would use, in our tacos and things like that. And it's a meat substitute that's mushroom-based.
1: Oh, yeah, no, no. I don't think that's a thing.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, very much. I'm not sure if there's a correlation between corn and um, Paul McCartney's first wife. Linda McCartney, yeah. Mm. Because, of course, she also has a line. I can't remember if those two are intertwined at all, and it's that's wildly irrelevant.
2: But <laughs>
0: she's what I think about when I think about corn, for some reason. And even eating it, I didn't realize it was a mushroom-based
1: substitute. Like mushroom substitute.
0: jerky. Like mushroom jerky. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was just a substitute. It was mm-hmm. just a thing. So...
2: Yeah,
1: and, and I don't know, because I'm American, you know, it's interesting, we watched The Crown recently with, oh, I keep, what's the town's name, anyway? I forgot the town, with the Welsh. Oh,
0: yeah, a- Aber or something. I know, yeah,
1: you're all listening to this, know what it is. Yep. Um, but anyway, the 60s, a uh, big uh, accident that was dramatized in The Crown recently in their season three.
0: Mining tragedy that killed all the children, yeah, yeah in a but, local school.
1: Uh, and then this one here, I mean, to me, like, Wales is really a character in this, Mm. uh, you know, which, because I think it's, you know, interesting because, you know, Doctor Who, once it was resurrected, I don't know the word to use, resurrected is, you know, BBC Wales is who does Doctor Who now, whereas, you know, this was BBC Maine, I don't know, whatever you call it. So, you know, we know all the sites of Wales from the newer series, even though it's not always Wales, it's just what, you know. But I think here this is Wales. You know, this is, mm. you have the miners, you have all those people, you have, you know, Professor Professor Jones doing his full Welsh accent and everything and, and all that, just sort of bringing that part alive. I don't, because I don't think, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, there's that much regionalism in Doctor Who up to this point. You know, not that the, necessarily everything's in London, but... It just is where it is. Yeah, so, it's, a, now, it's in a
0: vague British place. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, every now and then they'll go to, you know, maybe some countryside, but it's not necessarily like, oh, you're now in northern London or you're, or, or excuse me, northern England or some, or Scotland or something like that. Yeah. Um but i think this is sort of its first time like yes you are in this wales it's definitely welsh <laughs> yeah
0: and i found it interesting again looking at the um, extras we learned that the coal mine where they filmed this closed down a couple of years later
2: yeah.
0: and even the the theme of the show the ethos of that episode is yes that's a good thing coal is dying which uh, I think they actually say that at one point in the episode, and I had one of my Trump I I I moments <laughs> um, because even in the seventies the coal was dying, but the coal mine closed down, and Katie Manning and the guy who Stewart. played yeah Stewart something, the guy who played Professor Jones, go back to the village of Derry and speak with a couple of former coal miners who were actually in or a part of Dr. Who, that Dr. Who episode, and the sadness that they clearly felt with the coal mine closing. You know, one of them talks about his dad was in the coal mines and his granddad was in the coal mines, and for all that us me, you know, and other liberals look at coal as a bad thing, and I think it is a bad thing, partly because I'm a big old liberal, realizing that completely shutting it down does change people's lives. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but it does mean you have to understand where the other side's coming from in terms of loss of culture to an extent and loss of revenue and loss of jobs. They talk about this particular coal mine shutting down and thousand people lost their jobs. And in a place and in a job where things are still a little bit hand to mouth anyway, that sort of thing can be absolutely devastating to a community. And even though it's the right thing to do and finding... Um, alternatives of energy that are better for the planet is absolutely the right thing to do also being able to see the consequences and understand that no matter what you do no matter how much computer training you promise you're going to get these guys Mm -hmm. to replace their jobs it is still very much a loss and is very much going to be a grief And I think that that particular extra highlighted that in an interesting way.
1: Yeah, because I'd be, maybe, and again, you know, I'm just an American, what do I know? But I think watching The Crown and watching this episode, maybe it's Old Wales. I mean, you know, is that is that the whales of today, you know, which apparently uh, is now doing Doctor Who filming, you know, because, you know, what's the economic replacement there, you Yeah. Know, between the coal industry, you know, and apparently you get Doctor Who to film there um, for BBC Whales. But, you know, what else is there in, in, in to, for that economic transition, um, you know, as the, you know, you have in, in America, you know, whether it's West Virginia or Pennsylvania or all the other coal areas, you know, once you take coal away, you know, for good or for ill, you know, what replaces a lot of these folks who as you say that's the only culture they know it's the only training they know and then what's what's again, who's, who's there to replace it yeah
0: and even if you even if you replace it with something so much better it's still a complete loss of identity mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and allow uh, Hearing that grief, mm. I think, is important. I think because people go, Oh, we're going to close the coal mines, but it's going to be all right. We're going to have jobs for you. We're going to train you. It's going to be fine. I don't see what the problem mm-hmm. is. Well, the problem is you're completely losing a way of life that that's all you've known. And you've got to, to hear that and understand that grief. And you can't just platitude that away.
1: Yeah, but it is interesting to watch uh, Katie and, and Stuart cause this was, I think, film last year in 2019 of them revisiting all these sites in in Wales and, you know, meeting the people who were either, you know, adults when they looked at the film or even people who were kids who snuck away from school and watched the filming and, you know, saw John Pertwee, you know, perched on top of a rock pretending to be attacked by a bird and stuff like that. And so it was kind of very, very interesting to see the locals um, get the revisiting and all
2: that stuff. Yeah, it
0: was really lovely. And, and, you know, they went down... T- local pub and uh you know people just had stories I have a story for you I, I want to tell you about my grandmother who invited Pertwee in for tea and didn't have a clue who he was and all of those sorts It was just lovely it was really nice that was a gorgeous extra to include
1: and because f- one of my favorites was like one guy and if I understood it correctly because maybe I wasn't following it he's actually a a miner or, or something and got on camera because I guess it's something like they needed something torched or, or, you know, a metal piece. I'm using the wrong words, uh, torched or broken or whatever. And I guess due to union rules, they couldn't have anyone else to do it. Like they can't just fake it. And so they had to bring in the an actual miner. And so he's on TV. So there he yeah. is on camera. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that was, the whole thing was just really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And also interesting, on the tail end of of my diatribe, which I apologize for, but the two miners who take Katie and Stuart to where the mine used to be, both of them talk about the green's grown back. Mm -hmm. And and that's not a sad, that's a positive that even they see, you know, the green has come back. Um,
1: Because it's like a park now.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the 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 land healed itself, as it were. So, even even with positives, there's still grief, but there's also positives. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm done.
1: Well, I think an interesting thing, you know, when we were watching, of course, we were yelling hippie at, at Professor Jones uh, with the nut hutch. Um,
0: with a th- total affection, by <laughs> the way.
1: <laughs> but I think the interesting thing was and share and Don't share. share exactly. In the back. Yeah, about. Just because the change, and again, you know, I not wasn't alive in the 1970s in Britain, but even now, I mean, even stuff they're saying now, you know, it depends what part of the country you live in here in the United States, but, you know... Here in the south, people were all you know. If you meet someone, it's like, yeah, no, I don't eat meat anymore. We just do mushrooms now. And you're like, okay, you're weird. But I mean, you know, it's just. Uh, but you know, I, I say that jokingly. But you know, the stuff that the that Professor Jones's folks were doing, it was just such this big change. Nothing was wrong with it. Everything they're doing is great, but it's just this this big change, and which is how society. You know, you'll have the people who make the big change. And everyone kind of looks at them weird, and then of course, you know, twenty years later, we're all doing what they were doing. Yeah. And so, but it was just interesting, like you know, because there are alternate fuels, alternate foods. Supply.
0: Well, and he yeah. talks about uh, Professor Jones uh, talks about the nut hutch being run by energy from the river, the local river, mm-hmm. and things like that. And talking about harnessing new ways through wind, and and then when we go visit the um, the, Welsh the Welsh site. There's one place where there's this big wind turbine, and I'm like, yep, there you go, there you go. Mm-hmm. The wind must have been blowing that day, because the wind turbine <laughs> yep. seemed to be working.
1: It didn't steal all the wind.
0: It, did, it didn't seem to steal I all the wind. It wasn't giving cancer to everyone. I didn't see any birds dying okay. either, so there's that. A
1: lot of mistaken. And so what would you think about our exit of Joe?
0: It was very bittersweet. Mm-hmm. They built the romance a little better, but it still felt a little quick.
1: Yeah, because they're yelling at. You. Well, they don't seem to have the the nicest relationship for the first three episodes, and then and it, I, I laugh, but I mean whatever, it worked. But now that I think about it, they sort of have the stereotypical by the fire, laying down by yeah, the fire, yeah. or, you know.
0: Oh yeah, interning.
1: <laughs> um.
0: I mean, I think that there were definite places where you could see his fondness for her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know necessarily that we saw it as much from Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. as we've talked about, I'm not 100% sure that Katie Manning knows that.
2: <laughs> you know?
0: I mean, I think Katie Manning is a lovely, I've thoroughly enjoyed seeing her every time we saw her. Uh, but she seems to be a little bit aromantic.
1: Uh, um, or as far as commitment, maybe. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. She
0: has lovely love affairs and falls, loves, in love often. Fall, falls in love often and walks away just as easily, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Um.
1: Well, and I think it's interesting that in some ways throughout the story in both real, you know, real like that, you know, um, Katie has myopia or whatever it's called with her, you know, she cannot see very well. Uh, Close-up, um, or at all, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that, you know, she, having her, the parallel between how she meets Professor Jones being the parallel to how she met the doctor with the clumsiness mm-hmm.
0: and the... Knocking things over, yeah. yeah. So. Which I didn't realize until they showed uh-huh. the two side-by-side side later on, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's really nice.
1: Mm-hmm. And then what you... We were talking earlier about how, you know, and in, in, often... You get, Companion farewells. Never have, we haven't really focused on that. That we talked about that the other episode. You know, how do they deal with the companion? How do they deal with the doctor? And you know, with this one, the whole romance kick you out. You know, it's kind of a borderline sexist, but whatever, it works. I suppose of you know, kicking and getting rid of a companion. And like you said, this one works. A little rushed, but it works. You know, it's better as anything else does. Yeah,
0: and it, it this is a this is different. Like, the Doctor kicks Susan out yeah. and leaves without Makes her. the choice for her. Makes the choice for her, mm-hmm. um, which is probably indicative of the, the whole relationship, if you mm-hmm. want to really delve deep into <laughs> the Doctor and Susan. The Doctor would have been perfectly happy with Joe not going mm-hmm. this time, and she makes that choice. She's staying. She's not going with him. Mm-hmm. Um, she's off with her next adventure man.
1: Mm-hmm. And then to, sh- then to show... How the doctor, the acting of John and the writing of the episode of how the doctor then relates to that about, because you you said you noticed how the doctor doesn't ever, doesn't look the professor in the eye or doesn't, Mm. you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is very jealous and not in any sort of, it didn't feel like a romantic jealousy. Mm -mm. It just felt like a, you're taking my best friend away. Mm. So, Yeah.
1: And then we have the Doctor driving by himself on Bessie into the off sunset, off into the
0: sunset. Yeah. yeah, it was lovely. It was a lovely ending.
1: Yeah, and it seemed like, and not that we know it, I suppose, but again, like this series of the Third Doctor seems to be sort of where everything gels. You know, you have the Unit family, mm-hmm. you have a touch of the Master because you know that was all last season, and like everything's working in all cylinders. But then you sort of have the behind the scenes of like. Um turn over the X. So Roger Delgado passes away. Mm-hmm. And then no, actually the other it's the wrong way. I knew I was gonna get it wrong. Sorry. Joe leaves first because I think um, you know that was in the can, you know, Katie was gonna leave. So that was already done.
0: The announcement, but they hadn't filmed it.
1: Right, but yeah, but it was sort of going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then Roger dies, because you know, there's a myth that she left because Roger died. and it's No, he had already, mm. everything was done already. So anyway, and then Roger dies. And then, so then you sort of have, going into the next series, you know, there's Roger's gone. no more master, at least with him. And then New Companion is sort of getting the sort of like, and then they sort of have the Barry and, and Terry are just sort of thinking of leaving, uh, mm. you know, as the producers. And sort of this is like... All right, so this is the last season then, right? You know? Yeah. So, you know, this is this was sort of the the pure uh I mean, I not to take anything as far as quality for whatever comes next cuz we haven't seen it yet. But anyway, but this was sort of like, okay, this this is the end and so
0: The denouement, the tying yeah. up of loose ends. Yeah.
1: And so I mean, like for because they were I think if they asked Katie, you know, why did John, you know, leave Doctor Who and I, this was coming all writing was on the wall by this point. Mm. So.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like Between John Pertwee and Katie Manning and the unit boys, they were such a tight-knit group that once one decided to leave, it all sort of started to unravel. Gives
1: permission for other people to say. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 not only gives them permission to do it, but makes them begin to think about what else, what's next, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, Recognizing the... um, Tenuousness of it, and mm.
1: things can't last forever. Yeah. Well, anyone, anyway, some some series know that, some don't. You know. Yeah. Some absolutely. try to go on forever, yeah. long past the. You know. I but
0: again, know. I think with her going, mm-hmm. the others were able to to see that. I
1: mean, Grey's Anatomy is in ninety eighth season. Right? It is definitely in its ninety eighth <laughs>
2: season.
0: Yeah, I need to catch up, but I've sort of. Gotten lost in the,
2: Cause,
1: and also I think that this may be one of the few times, and without knowing everyone's backstory, that this wasn't a harmonious team. Because you know we're going to get a Tom Baker eventually, and he's Tom Baker. You know he's. I doubt he was. You know John Pertwee. You know top of the call sheet definitely created probably a different feeling than mm. Tom did. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so I, you know, I and I don't know anything about you know Peter and and Colin, which obviously that's a tumultuous time in and of itself, and then Sylvester when things were on the way out. But you know, as far as creating that family feeling, I'm, I'm... this
0: this series is definitely the utopia,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think, um, in a way that we might not see until Matt Smith and Amy and Rory, yeah, so.
2: Um,
0: and in a way, we wanted to see with Jodie Whittaker and her companions and haven't really.
1: Mm-hmm. And we're just sort of being told fam. Don't always get yeah. shown fam. Yeah,
0: whereas, whereas this is a fam.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's very clear. And people have interesting, you know, like the, when Joe announces she's getting married to Professor Jones and you get uh, Yates's Yates' yeah. reaction yeah. a little bit, you know, <laughs> of, of, oh, I thought maybe no okay. uh, you know they are just these lovely moments that i think are born out of not just understanding where the characters have gone but also this familiarity amongst each other and yeah
1: well, anything about you want? To, any other extras that we watched that you want to comment on? I know there were a lot. Yeah, we talked about a lot of Katie being interviewed, but a lot of other stuff too.
0: Yeah, I mean, we went back and watched Sarah Jane and Katie together. Oh yeah, we am going to And that. Joe,
1: a doc, the Doctor's death we, was included on the Blu-ray mm-hmm. from the Sarah Jane Adventures, and so as sort of a chance to having watched the the Joe uh, Chronicles with the third Doctor seeing her return to Doctor Who and how how that all tried to coalesce together with. You know Russell T. Davies, not only getting to write The Eleventh Doctor, because obviously that's a Moffat character, um, but getting to bring back Sarah Jane. Well, I mean, he was writing Sarah Jane. But bringing back Sarah Jane and Joe and getting to talk about Classic Who, basically, which I'm sure is all the showrunners' all dreams to, to play in the Classic Who-verse. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think Matt Smith did such a lovely job coming into a show that's not his, right. first of all, and just seamlessly being so fond of both of these women that presumably in real life He'd never met before. Yeah, I know. Before. I mean,
1: even Liz Slade—you see that this, you know, David Tennant had been with her a few times by that point. Yeah. So he could do that. But this is Matt meeting meeting both Liz and Katie for the first time, presumably.
0: Well, and David Tennant is a self-proclaimed Who fan. Yeah, that's
1: right. So he knew very Sarah much Jane, so. Uh, yeah.
0: And so these these are going to be the characters that he had grown up with. Whereas we don't—I I don't know if Matt Smith yeah, watched Doctor Who <laughs> at all.
1: He's a little young. Yeah, he
0: is. Um, and so being able to come in and pick up up that history, like we were talking about earlier, you know, when Joe talks about her leaving, which happened, of course, with John Pertwee, Matt Smith's reaction is to not look at her in the same way that John Pertwee didn't look at her, Mm -hmm. which I think is such a lovely parallel. And, you know, where that came from, how much research Smith did himself versus you know how much the directors directed. I, I don't know, uh-huh. but it was it was such a lovely, real moment, and I just think that's and and I think one of Matt Smith's strengths as a doctor was his ability to play the old soul in a way that you would not expect.
1: And it made me wonder more with Katie, you know, slash Joe, because obviously Sarah at this point has been in the. The universe, um, copyright trademark. Um, so you know, you know, because she's played with John, played with Tom, played with uh, David, and now with Matt. And so, but for for Katie, who's only played with John, you know, as she's acting with Matt, you know, is she trying to see John in Matt Smith's eyes? Is she trying to see the Third Doctor when she looks at the Eleventh Doctor? Trying to find her doctor somewhere, you know, as an interesting point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really lovely, and getting a little bit of of Joe wrap up, mm-hmm. you know, seven children. How do you ha- how do you give birth to seven children while you're hanging out in the Amazon? I don't know in a tea chest. In a tea chest, going down the river. Yeah, the whole thing is ridiculous. Mm. Um, but yeah, her seven children and twelve and a half grandchildren, and yeah, and that you know. I, the Santiago character—it would have made for another interesting spinoff.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, then we know there's Rio Grande, based on the uh, Farewell, Sarah Jane.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, do we want to talk about the documentary at all? Sure.
1: Oh, which one? There's two weird the ones. The Matt Gaddis. Okay. Documentary. Then there was the other weird one, but yeah, that one. Yeah. So then, oh, Mark. Um, uh, Mark Gaddis did a sort of pseudo-documentary. I think it was a couple of years ago. A
0: mockumentary. Yeah. I right, we? Well.
1: Of of follow up to the Green Death, where he's a roving uh, conspiracy reporter uh, interviewing the players from the Green Death afterwards. Of I don't remember everyone's names, Erskine or whatever. I don't know people. but but managed
0: yes. to get all of the actors yes. from the, the original Greens, yeah. to to come in and and talk about it, which mm. was just fantastic. Uh-huh. It was brilliant and yeah. Very well done, and in the end, unfortunately, he succumbs to uh, the boss.
1: Who apparently is now head of the BBC. Yep.
0: Which, you know, was to be expected. I found that lovely and tongue-in-cheek. Although it does contradict the death of the doctor because there's an interview with Professor Jones who says that they grew apart and were no longer together. And Joe tells us that's a big fat lie. Maybe
1: they got back together. Maybe
0: they got back together. Yeah. She saw the mockumentary. Yeah. And realized what she was missing. You know,
1: just like Katie you don't have to says you don't have to live together when you're married. You know, or not even married, but when you're in a relationship, you know, whatever. You
0: don't even have to live on the same continent, no. apparently.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, as she has moved back to London and, as far as anyone knows, is still in a relationship with a guy in mm-hmm. Australia. Yeah. So,
1: oh, uh, yes. But anyway... Well, final thoughts about this series of The Third Doctor.
0: I have enjoyed this more than I've enjoyed any of the others. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and do you think it's the characters, or do you think it's that we've kept it, you know, we're not jumping around randomly?
0: I think part of it's not jumping around, but I think the I, I have so much love for all of these characters. And mm-hmm. again, I think the extras gave us some of that, mm-hmm. because you've got... Katie Manning hanging on a ca- hanging out on a couch <laughs> with the two army guys, uh-huh. uh, waxing poetic and 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 so it's a combination of seeing how much affection they have for each other backstage, and then also that affection clearly brings itself to the screen as well, and so it's just warm and fuzzy. Uh, Yeah, this has definitely been my favorite.
1: And how do you feel knowing we just have one series of The Third Doctor left?
0: I'm excited to see Sarah Jane Mm -hmm. and see how that changes. Because I do know that Sarah Jane's a very different character. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm particularly interested because in the extras they talked about the reason they got rid of Liz Shaw was that she was too competent Mm -hmm. and that wasn't helpful to being able to explain things to the audience. And so it'll be interesting because Sarah Jane is sort of the quintessential competent companion. And
1: sort of the, to be broad, the women's lib character. Yeah. Yeah. And so it'll be
0: interesting to see how that, how they deal with that, having gotten rid of somebody for that reason. And Mm -hmm. possibly, I mean, Liz Shaw was a scientist. Right. Whereas.
1: She's plucky reporter.
0: Sarah Jane's (laughs) plucky reporter. And so still potentially need science explained and things like that so yeah i'm looking forward to that um and i can't wait to start the sarah jane era there you go
1: well with that let's go into the tardis library
2: when you close your eyes i go to the library
1: go to the library now well, for this one, we are going to do Book Report by Philip.
2: Book Report by Philip. <laughs> should have my own music. <laughs> Thank
0: you for coming to my TED Talk.
1: <laughs> but this is Doctor Who and the Cricket Men.
0: Spelled K-R-I-K-K-I-T.
1: Uh, by James Goss. Um, this was 2019. I'm sort of flipping the page as I talk here. It's fairly recent. Uh, 2018, excuse me, 2018. So this is a curious one because um, this is a you know, novel, of course. Uh, it's based on, and I read the, the, the forward and afterward and I've already forgotten it, but it's a Douglas Adams story who, you know, hitchhiker Guide to the galaxy, but also script editor of Dr. Who for some, for a short time there, Shada and all that. And, and I can't remember how far he got in this story, but James Goss, who does a lot of Dr. Who stuff, if you remember, he was the one who did, um, Shalda or the scream of the shock, uh, whatever what I'm trying to say, the ninth doctor animated.
0: Oh right! Oh oh okay.
1: Yeah, and but he's done lots of stuff.
0: Basically. The um, Richard E. Grant.
1: Yes, but he's he's done a lot of basically Douglas Adams finishing stories. Uh, he he novelized City of Death and the Pirate Plant, which are both Douglas Adams Doctor Who stories with the Fourth Doctor, and um, has basically so he's, so he's sort of a Douglas Adams guy in as much and is a Doctor Who guy, and uh, you know, follow him on Twitter and he's still active in the Doctor Who, doing lots of Doctor Who stuff. But anyway, all that to say, so this is a. I think Douglas Adams originally had this as Sarah Jane and the fourth Doctor. But James changed it to uh, Romana. Heresy. The the second Romana.
2: Heresy. Um, And the
1: Doctor, um, which actually I I enjoyed. But it's it's very interesting because it's sort of basically, without going into all of it, the, the premise is that the Cricket Men are this ancient... I'll say myth, but they turn out to be true. Violent race. So basically, there's a xenophobic race. Well, they, they don't know they're xenophobic because they think they're the only ones that exist in the world. It's, and it's very like, if you know Douglas Adams, this is very much like hitchhiker stuff. But anyway, they think they're the only planet there is, and then like, and they don't even look up, you know, all this stuff. They think they're like, the why would they ever look up? But anyway, the spacecraft crashes, and then they're like, well, this is crazy. We need to kill everything, you know? And so they build all these crazy robots. The crazy robots are the cricket men. And they look like, you know, and so basically, when the doctor, basically the book starts off with the doctor and Romana going to see cricket match, then they're horrified that the earthers or the Terrans have created this game based on this deadly species, which the Time Lords had to trap into a time bubble or something like this. Anyway, and it kind of goes from there because then while they're watching a cricket match, the cricket men show up and attack, and they're trying to assemble.
0: Ironic. Yeah,
1: and they have to assemble this. statue for lack of a better word to release the time lock on their planet and it's like and i'm know, it's like a cricket thing like there has to be like the all the different parts to the, the
0: wickets and things like that okay and
1: they're all in different parts of the universe mm. and so it's kind of like the key to time in a way and where they have to sort of travel to all these different places right. and have these mini adventures on these mini planets to find the parts and sometimes they lose sometimes they win um and it's all just Mickey Mackey but, yeah. But it's, it's interesting. I <laughs> to mean, to
0: quote Chris Cross, <laughs> just going with the K's right now, I'm a little concerned about where that's going.
1: <laughs> but uh, largely, I enjoyed it. I mean, I think the only thing that I didn't enjoy is that I think James goes a little too Douglas Adamsy at times. Because, you know, and I'm not an expert, but I mean, I've read enough, I think, semi expert. You know, I've read Dirk Gently, I've read All the Hitchhiker, um, and one or two of his other kind of random books where. Douglas Adams is like a lot of um very smart creative guys like uh Seth McFarland, mm. um Dan Harmon uh, gets
0: a little self indulgent
1: Yeah, you got it. They're they're best when you're they're not like 110%. Yeah. You know, they they have their styles and they get a little too whimsical cuz I think there's times in this book that are a little jokey when which you know, I mean Douglas Adams is always going to be funny but like there are some serious moments. There's parts where, like, lots of people are dying. And it's like, it's not a time for a joke. I know, You know, time and place, time and place, you know. And, and
0: space, <laughs> space, time and space.
1: And so, other than that, I, and again, I don't know how much is him just, you know, copying and pasting. How much, like, oh, I think this is what Doug would say. But other than that, I think the fourth Doctor's done very well. I think Romana's done very well. Because I don't often see her, I don't think I've read any Romana <laughs> novelizations. Mm. So, yeah, I thought they did very well. And so, yeah, it's, it's uh it's a longer book, but it does go by somewhat fast, if you don't mind. Again, it's very very Douglas Adams style, so if it's not for you, don't read it. But, you know, if you like Hitchhiker Dirk Gently, then definitely something to check out. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. Thanks for that, baby.
1: Do I get a star or something? Yep,
0: right in your forehead. Oh. Hold still. Do I get a free personal pan pizza yet? <laughs> not yet. You've got four more novels to read. Oh, yeah,
1: they're all over there. Yep. Still, so I need to read the ninth... <laughs> the Ninth Doctor. He has a real name. All right, I still read the Christopher Eccleson bio, and then I have oh, yeah. the Sophie Aldred penned at Children's End, mm. not novel, and then some other stuff.
2: Lots of good stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, until next time, enjoy the Doctor's adventures throughout
2: time, time and, and space. space. This is BBC Television.